Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. We continue making our way towards uh, the Christmas holiday. We're going to conclude this morning our three-part series in Galatians chapter 4, entitled God's Perfect Plan. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and open those up. Galatians 4, we'll, we'll look first at verses 1 through 3 together. In our lead up to Christmas, we've been looking beyond some of the more traditional Christmas passages in an effort to go deeper and to consider some of the theology of Christmas. There's a lot that goes into the Christmas story. There's a lot to be considered when we think about God coming to earth as a man. When we sing about going and telling it on the mountain, it's, it's sometimes a good question for us to, to say, well, what would I tell people? What would I communicate to them? How would I explain some of these truths that have changed my life? If we were to put you on camera here this morning, just like our kids telling the, the story that I trust you enjoyed, might you find yourself going, well, wait a second, what did happen in this moment? And, and why did it happen? And why did it happen the way that it did? It's okay for us to ask those questions because I believe that there's much in Scripture that gives us understanding. And that's where we've been seeking to go throughout these last few weeks. I hope you've enjoyed it. And, and as we look back on, on where we've been, we considered first how Jesus came at the perfect point in history. It was the perfect point in history. It was the perfect time. The time was just right spiritually, culturally, politically for Jesus to come into the world amongst circumstances that only God could have orchestrated. And then how Jesus was and is the perfect person to fulfill God's perfect plan. Jesus had to be the sinless God of the universe fully God, in order to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. No one else could do it. History had proven as much. But he also had to be fully human, embodied in flesh, in order to be a true substitutionary sacrifice for us. He had to live the life that we could not live ourselves. This event is called the Incarnation. We considered that last week. It's God in the flesh. It's really what we celebrate at Christmas time. In fact, in Galatians, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul explains why the incarnation was necessary. He writes, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. As we considered last week, Paul tells us that we are all born into this world under the bondage of the law. The law was given in Exodus chapter 20, and it helps us to see that we are incapable of earning God's salvation. That His righteous standard is far beyond us. And our capabilities, we can't do it. And as a result of that, we are hopelessly lost in our sin and in need of a Savior. That's the common truth for all of us. And and this is what, at the perfect point in history, 
God did in sending the perfect person. Jesus, He sent Him for us to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, to serve as that substitutionary sacrifice for us. Scripture says He came to redeem us. This act of redemption ultimately was the perfect purpose for God's perfect plan. And that's what we're considering here today. Let's continue reading here, picking up in verse 4. Paul continues, But when the fullness of the time had come, because of the common condition for all mankind, God was at work. And when that perfect point in history had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so we see there, as we considered last week in this second part of verse 4, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He was born of a woman, and that He was born under the law. So that, verse 5, He might redeem those who were under the law. It's about redemption. The perfect purpose. What was the perfect purpose in God's perfect plan? To redeem those who who were under the law. And who was that? That's us. That's everyone. That's all of us. Paul writes in Romans, in chapter 7, verse 1, he's contrasting those who are in Christ versus those who are not, saying the law has dominion or rules over a man as long as he lives. But Jesus came to redeem us. Why did we need redeemed? Well, another word for redeem here is ransom. Redeem and ransom can often be used interchangeably. And I think it helps us in our understanding to look at that word here this morning. Ransom means to free from captivity or punishment by paying a price. If we use that word here in this context, then it it suggests that we were captive to something. Were we captive to the law? No. Yes, we were born under the law, but we were not captive to it. Rather, we were captive to sin. Paul writes in Romans 7 verse 7, I would not have known sin except through the law. The law reveals that we are sinners. We are born under it. We are born subject to it. But the law itself is not bad. It's God's righteous standard. It's what helps to reveal that we do not measure up, nor can we. We can't do it. And that's what the law helps us to see. And some people certainly would say, well, why do we need that law then? If it's just going to point out that we're sinners. Well, yeah, we could go ahead and hide. We could seek to be ignorant. We could try to put our heads in the sand, as it were. Many throughout history have. Many today do. They seek to ignore it. But it doesn't change that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it also doesn't change that there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that He's seeking and has done something to address that situation in your life. Nevertheless, because of the law, we know sin. And we then find that we are slaves to that sin. As recorded in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Sin. Here Jesus is is talking about an individual who's in a continued pattern of sin and willful disobedience. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He asks us, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, 
you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So here we are, under the law, captive to sin, unable to free ourselves, and Jesus comes to ransom us, to free us from captivity. For what reason? Continuing on in verse 5, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That we might receive the adoption as sons so that we could be adopted. That is, so our proper relationship with God could be restored. That was the original intent of God's creation is to be in right relationship with Him. To restore means to give back something that was lost or taken, or to return someone or something to an earlier or original condition by repairing it. To give something back that was lost. To to repair something that was damaged. This is what God was doing in this redeeming process. Our relationship with God the Father was to be restored. But here's the thing. How can we appreciate what God has done if we don't know that we needed it to begin with? You see, this is why it's such an important part, especially this time of year, as the world largely is inundated with Christmas messages, which is a wonderful thing. So many people hearing the truth of the gospel, but maybe in many cases not understanding what the purpose of it all was. And do we truly get it? Do we grasp the significance of what God has done for us? I would submit to you this morning that sometimes we begin to become immune to it. In Genesis, and and for our understanding, in order for us to understand, we've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to go back to the book of beginnings. And there it is in Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 26, when we read this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Why is this an important verse? Because here he's... He's speaking of image or likeness. He's speaking of the way in which man was created. It speaks of how He, God, created man as a reflection of Himself. Isn't that incredible? That God has made you in His image? And do you know that that very truth has been under attack from the very beginning of time? Do you know that in our world today, so many people will seek to tell you that you were simply a biological accident? Do you know that? I mean, that's the common opinion amongst our our, our culture of the day. These things just happen by chance. A primordial ooze that one decided to get up and walk, and the other just still floated in the ocean. Yes, I simplify. That's, That's really what it boils down to. How depressing. Do we not wonder why people are in despair? Because with such thinking, with that being the foundation for life, well, then life has no meaning. No purpose. But the Bible, the God of the Bible said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so what that means then is that your life has inherent value. Each and every one of you have worth and purpose. You were created, known by the almighty God of the universe before you were even born. That the creator God of the universe would say, I knew you before I even formed you in the womb. I've created you with unique value, purpose. 
the plan for your life. Created you for good works that you may walk in them. And so we see here, it's so important for us to understand the foundations of creation because here in the very beginning, God says, let us make man like us. And Adam and Eve then were created as sinless children of God. As children, God gave them a command. He said to them in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, He said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so like any good father, He gives His children instruction. He helps them to see what's good for them and what's not good for them. And as children of God, Adam and Eve, they willingly obeyed this command and it resulted in them enjoying the benefits of being God's children. Specifically, there's, this, there's something we see in chapter 3 where it helps us to understand that they had an intimate relationship and fellowship with God. There in chapter 3, it's clearly implied that each evening God would in the cool of the garden Walk with and enjoy time with Adam and Eve. How special is that? A personal relationship where they were with Him. They knew Him and they spoke with Him. He was so faithful in coming and spending time with them because that's what God wants. From the very beginning of time, even before He created, God had it in His heart to say, I want to create and I want them to be with me and I want to be with them and I want to love them. And that's what they had. At creation, mankind received sonship. They were children of God. But something happened. After some period of time, Satan, having been cast to the earth after leading a successful rebellion against God in heaven, now leads a successful rebellion against God on earth. In Genesis 3, verses 1-7, through we're told that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Here, this original sin, as it's called, is no different than any sin today. Satan still operates the same way. He has the same tactics. He entices us, he tempts us into thinking that we should be like God. He plays on our desires to be God. And each of us still today are in the habit, oftentimes, of making up our own little kingdoms with our own little thrones and placing us right in that chair. Doing things the way we want to do it, how we want to do it. Pursuing the things that we want, that we think will satisfy. It's all the same. Here, Adam and Eve, they chose to obey Satan and disobey God. And by doing so, they forfeited the sonship that they received from God. And according to 1 John chapter 3, they became children of the devil. In 1 John 3 verse 10, we read in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. That's a difficult passage in Scripture, isn't it? We read that one. It, 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 it's such a stark contrast. And, and if rightly understood, it lends itself to the understanding that you are either for God and with God or opposed. There's no in-between. John here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that some people have chosen to not be part of God's family. And although they may not realize it, they've chosen to be a child of the devil. What he helps us to see here is that God's children are righteous. And they're marked, they're characterized by two things. One, they practice righteousness, that is, they obey His Word. And they practice biblical love for one another. It's a common thing in Scripture. It's a common theme woven throughout. Love God and love others. It's the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're called to. The devil's children are unrighteous, and their lives are also marked by two things. They practice unrighteousness. That is, they do not obey the Word of God, and they don't love others biblically. The world claims to know love. And I wouldn't seek to entirely minimize the experience of love that's felt by many, but the ultimate truth is that love without truth is hypocrisy. Love without truth is sentimentality. And all we need for evidence as to man's condition is to just look ahead there in Genesis to consider the subsequent generations as recorded in Scripture to see that the effects of sin had now entered into the world. Cain, his spirit was weak. His flesh was strong. It controlled him through jealousy, and his jealousy resulted in him murdering his brother Abel. In, in each new generation of Adam's descendants, God's characteristics were less prominent and Satan's characteristics more. It was right there. It's been there throughout history. Yet right there, in the very beginning, even in the midst of the original sin and deception and betrayal, God was at work, as He always has been. Because of Satan's role in mankind, forfeiting their sonship, God pronounced a curse on Satan. And at the same time, God was promising mankind a Savior who would make way, make a way for our sonship to be regained, for us to be ransomed, our relationship restored. Genesis 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was prophecy. God saying here, look, Satan, there's a curse upon you and you are going to be defeated. You are going to be dealt a serious blow. Yes, the Messiah would be dealt a temporary blow in this process as He gave Himself for us upon the cross. But what we see here is that God was already at work. He was already moving and working. And He began then to set apart a people for His name. He began, or continued I should say, to guide, to protect, to provide. 
After the flood, he called a man out from among his people, Abraham. And from Abraham, there was Isaac and then Jacob and then Jacob's sons, the tribes of Israel. And there they were protected in Egypt. But a time came when they needed to be delivered. And he sends Moses. And there in the wilderness, he cares for them day after day, ushering them into the promised land throughout history. God has been about protecting his people, but not just because they were his specific people, but rather he worked in them and through them. There in the covenant and exodus that he gave them, it was known even then that these special people, Israel, would eventually be a blessing to all nations. That this was God's way of providing a way of reconciliation, of restoration, of redemption for all mankind, such that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. At the perfect point in history, when the circumstances were just right, the perfect person, Jesus, fully God and fully man, enters into this world on a course set for Calvary. After 400 years of silence, a voice breaks through, making the way for the Lord. God was at work, such that here as Jesus came, He would be the substitutionary sacrifice for us to atone for our sins. Having in this life fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law that we could not, giving His life a payment for us to ransom us, from our bondage to sin. We've all experienced this in some way, shape, or form, haven't we? The bondage to sin. The bondage to religion. Our fleshly efforts try as we might to do it better each and every day, but at the end of the day, feeling like it just wasn't good enough. Feeling like we just can't measure up. We just can't be a good enough person. All of this, the, the ways in which we try and try and try helps to illustrate the bondage that we're in when, when, when under works-based religion and performance-based cultures. But Jesus came. He lived a perfect life in our place so that the burden of perfection is no longer on your shoulders. Amen? Some of you need to hear that this morning. The burden of perfection is no longer on your shoulders. He did this not just to ransom us from bondage, but to restore us to a right relationship. To reconcile us as sons. Back in John chapter 8, in verses 34 and 35, it's there where Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. He continues. And Jesus says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And so you see, when Jesus comes, He restores our sonship. Our adoption has made a way for that right relationship to be regained. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. A way has been made for us to be brought back into God's family and to receive all the benefits that come as family. It says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us 
that we should be called children of God. Are you still in awe of that truth? Or has it lost some of its luster in your life? Are you aware that you are a slave to sin? Lost in unrighteousness? No longer a child of God, but rather a child of wrath, a child of the devil. But that you were found. That the Holy Spirit that is with us, drawing us under repentance, if a life surrendered, if you've given your life to Christ, now indwells you and has sealed you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling now in you. And you have now been placed into a right relationship with the Creator God of the universe. And it doesn't end there. Because that would be enough, wouldn't it? Isn't mercy sometimes, doesn't it just feel like, if you've if you got a good perspective, you're sort of like, man, mercy's enough. I deserve to be dead. But you said, no, I'm not going to do that. Whew. Praise God, thank you. I'm good. Right? But then he says, oh, no, but I want you to come live with me and to stay with me and to be with me forever. In fact, I want to adopt you. I want you to have all the benefits of being my son. Who's his son? Jesus. And he says, you get to be like that the beneficiary, the recipient of things that truly we can sit here, to, here, sit here today and say, I don't know what all that is. There is so much, a treasure stored up for me that I can't even begin to understand. Because Paul says here, and because you're a son, you're an heir. You get, this, you get the spirit of his son in your heart and that means that you can cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean? Now, Abba is an Aramaic expression that literally means Father. That's what it literally translates as. And so here, if you translate that differently, you're saying, Father, Father. And I go, okay, Father, Father, what's that mean? Now, some people say that the Aramaic expression here can translate to Daddy. That can be true, and it can be used in that way. The problem is, to say that it's Daddy would suggest that a bunch of grown men were going around calling God Daddy all the time. And that doesn't necessarily seem likely. It could have happened, but it doesn't seem all that likely. Rather, the, the expression here really speaks to, if it's translated literally Father, and then here Father, Father, it's a way of saying, I have a relationship, I have an intimacy with, I have a special bond now with God to where I can say in a way that's generally reserved for this familial relationship, I can say, Father, Father, or dear Father, I know you. Right? There's an intimacy. Remember what they had? What did Adam and Eve have there? There was something special before it was, before it was broken, before it was, before it was wrecked by sin. They knew him, spent time with him, but that was interrupted. But mind you, that did not stop God from pursuing. That did not God, stop God from pursuing his people, from making a way to be among his people. One of the things I'm so excited about to get into Exodus, we took a detour by way of Revelation, we'll come back to Exodus after we're done with that, is because it's in Exodus that we get to see the experience of God's people in the wilderness. Yes, indeed, it was a wilderness, but it was a place in which God showed up big time and continued to express the fact that I want to be with you. I want to be among you. But because God is who He is, because God is holy, because He is righteous, 
He says, but for you to be with me, there's got to be some buffer here. I'm a little too much for you right now. Okay? And so he's like, I'm going I'm to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to make a way for us to have a good relationship, to be with you. And so many people look back on that and they say, oh, God was just so distant and he was so angry and he was so... No, he wasn't. We only do that because we place our finite emotions upon him. You know, he was, dis- he was pursuing them. He said, I'm going to... Br-. He says, there's this plan. And so he's been working throughout history to bring about the necessary circumstances and the perfect person to say, look, all this now is restored. And now you are with me and I'm with you. My spirit in you. And when you're in need, you boldly come before my throne. You don't hold back. You don't worry. You come before me. You spend time with me. Oh, you don't know what to say? No worries. That spirit that's inside you, he'll take care of it. I'll work. I'll move. I'll speak. You'll hear my voice. Don't worry, my sheep hear my voice. Do you know it? Are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? I'm I'm leading you. I'm guiding you. This is the relationship that He wants to have with us. And that we can have. And that we do have. And once again, that's all now. You got all that today. Christmas list, check. You don't need anything else, do you? No. There's just one thing. He got all that today. But he says there's more. An inheritance as well. In the Roman world, when someone was adopted, they received full rights and privileges as another member of the family. No distinction. I love how in Scripture we see God's heart for adoption. And so we've been adopted, Christian. This privilege was secured for us at a cost. And because we've been adopted, we are a part of the family. We have every right, every bit of the inheritance, everything that comes along with being a son is ours. And here's the thing, we know this, based off of what we've considered this far, based off of what Paul has said, that we didn't deserve it, we couldn't have earned it, there was nothing that we can do. Going back to that mercy thing, right? He showed us mercy. We couldn't do it. He said, you deserve this, but I'm not going to do it. And then on top of that said, and you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you. That's grace. And so you know the wonderful thing about God's grace then and His mercy when it comes to the fact that He's adopted us because we couldn't have earned it to begin with, because we didn't deserve it, because He gave everything for it, we can rest assured that He's not going to take it away. And just as much as some of you here this morning may be experiencing the burden of perfection upon your shoulders still, it probably means that you're also dealing with the fear of possible rejection. And I'm here to tell you, if you've experienced that in your own life, if you've experienced that from an earthly father or mother or friend or brother or sister, whomever it may be, don't allow them to paint a picture of who your heavenly father is. He won't take it away. So many of us, we deal with that. We deal with fear of rejection even as kids, and then we carry it into adulthood. But as John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, he's referring there to the believer. He's saying, that's, that's who you are. You're beloved. You're loved. Now we are children of God. He didn't say we're becoming children of God. He says we are. you got His Holy Spirit inside of you. You are a child of God. But praise God, then he also says, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Once again saying, there's more. There's more. 
But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Dare I say, we can experience once again what was ultimately intended for us. That maybe in the cool of the day, the Creator God of the universe says, walk with me. That Jesus, who holds the whole world in His hands, that as John tells us in chapter 1, is the Word, was the Word. That He was there in the beginning, that nothing that was created was created without Him. It was all created through Him and for Him. That He would say, you want to hang out? Spend time together? That's the eternity that He is working towards. That's what's in store for us as we've been considering in, in our study of Revelation as we were looking at the seven letters to the churches over and over again what, what Jesus there in writing to these churches tells them if you do this, if, if you're obedient, if you walk, if you abide, he, he tells what the reward is and over and over again the reward is Him. It's Him. And I don't know how all that works. I don't know what all that's going to be like other than Jesus is saying, look, you get me. He's saying you get me in eternity, you get me. The one who knows, the one who understands, the one who, who knows you far beyond what you, you could ever even imagine, who knows you perfectly and loves you perfectly and provides for you perfectly. He's going to do that work. And He is going to finish it. He's not going to up and walk away. He'll complete it. That's our hope, isn't it? That what He began in us, He'll finish it. That He'll complete the work that He started. Charles Spurgeon once said, where is there an instance of God's beginning any work and leaving it incomplete. Show me for once a world abandoned and thrown aside half-formed. Show me a universe cast off from the great potter's wheel with the design and outline, the clay half-hardened, and the form unshapely from incompleteness. You're not going to find it. Man has sought to, to research and to explore the furthest reaches of the universe. The further we go, more and more and more, another galaxy, another galaxy. Man, it's... We can't find anything that's like, well, that, that's, that's not working right. Looks like that's broken. No. Our world, it just were to tilt one degree off of its axis, we'd either be on fire or frozen. Do you understand that? Does it freak you out? Freak some people out. I know who's holding it all together. People want to say, oh, this just happened. Whoops. No. No. It's the God of the universe who loves you said, let us make man. Let us make man like us. Let's place him in a place of perfect provision. Let's give him what he needs. It's that same God who once he saw it disrupted. Not a surprise to him. He knew it was coming. Already had a plan to say, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it even better. And there's going to be times when it seems like, where are you at, God? Why not yet? Do you know? Do you understand? as we look back at history, we can go, man, he arrived exactly what he meant to. At the perfect time. I couldn't have picked it that way. I couldn't have done it that way, but he came right when he needed to. The circumstances were perfect so that the world could know and, uh, and could understand. And, and, and he gives the perfect person that could do what none of us could do. He accomplished it for us. He's made a way for us to be in right relationship once again. It wasn't just some random point in history. It was the perfect point in time. Jesus was that perfect person, fully God, fully man, to come for the perfect purpose, to fulfill God's perfect plan, to rescue us, to ransom us from the bondage of sin that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. That's the Christmas story. Amen?
I invite the worship team up to lead us in our time of communion. It's what we're going to celebrate here now as we close. I mentioned to you at the beginning of the service, I'll say it again, Christmas is this week. But just like I shared with the first service, I'll share with you, as I've reminded you of that, I've not said, so you better go and get all your shopping done. Got a few days left. It's not your public service announcement, but rather that, guys, Christmas is this week. And people all over the world are being reminded that a long time ago a baby was born, his name was Jesus, he was God, born to be the Messiah, and in many cases, that's it. For them it's just, yep, I know that story. But John writes in John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so the question must be asked this morning, have you been born of God? Are you a child of God? Do you know Him in that way? If you're here today, you're watching online, and that's not you, today is the day. Make today the day when you would say, yes, I want to surrender my life to Him. The communion table that we'll partake of here shortly is open to all those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you don't know Him, we'd ask you refrain. But more than that, we'd ask that you'd know Him, that you'd give your life to Him, and that you'd partake of communion. Because while we know and believe that the, the, the elements that we partake of are not the literal body and blood of Christ, we know that Scripture tells us there is something powerful that happens in communion where we are participating in His body and blood. So this is important. It's not just a baby in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas. It's that that baby came and grew and lived the perfect life and willingly went to the cross and died and gave His body for us, shed His blood for us, that there might be remission of sin. And maybe you're here this morning and you know Jesus, but as you think about Christmas and you think about it's a few days away, and for you it is thinking about all the things that need done things maybe you need to buy. Or maybe it's you looking forward to that time because, man, you are just longing for something. And so you think that food or family or time off, vacation or whatever it is is going to fill that void. And while those things in and of themselves are not bad, it's, one, it's wonderful. I want, to be, I want to see family. But if I'm looking forward to Christmas for all those things that I think are going to satisfy, I'm going to be left sorely disappointed. Maybe for you today, it's about saying, you know what? Christmas is coming. And Lord, I've lost my awe of who you are and what you've done. Christmas has become to me the, the thought of the nativity and the events, the activities. But, but Lord, I, I've, I've failed to really consider, Lord, that you came at the perfect time, the perfect person to redeem me, to ransom me you've adopted me you've given me access here and now to to all that i need for life and godliness and the promise of a future with you where i'll walk with you where i will be with you forever as your word declares in revelation and to truly have a heart that says that's enough that's enough lord i'm blessed as we take communion you'll be released by row i'd encourage you to take the elements consider them pray over them meditate sing but allow the holy spirit to do whatever he wants to do in your heart here this morning that He would ready you for the celebration. That is God come as man. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks this morning, Lord, for Your Word. You thank you, we thank You, Lord, for how it blesses us, and I do pray that by Your Spirit we'd be continually encouraged in it. And Lord, as we partake here this morning, Lord, uh, 
ready our hearts. Do a necessary work in us here, Lord, such that as we leave this place that we might have regained an awe of you, an appreciation for who you are, for what it is you've done for us, Lord. As we look back, as we allow you to look within us here now, and as we look forward to what you have in store for us. And for those, anyone, Lord, here, someone who may watch or listen even later on, Lord, who does not know you, may today be that day where they say, Lord Jesus, I know that you've come for me. God, you sent your son to die for me, to ransom me, to redeem me, to restore me to a right relationship with you. And so, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess, Lord, of my my sins to you. I repent of them. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Your spirit dwell within my heart. May I know you truly as Father. Just tell him what you want to tell him today as you seek to give your life to him. Lord, we love you and praise you. Bless this time here now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.